Do me a favor, would you stand to your feet at this time as we read the word of God? We are in our very last um, final session and final message of the True Happiness series. And I'm going to read out of Deuteronomy chapter 5, and this is going to be verses um, 20 and 21. This is the last two of the Ten Commandments, right? God's top ten. I actually got the privilege of talking about the first two. So now I get to close it with the last two. And if you missed any of the in-between, I want to challenge you to go back because I thought my dad did such a phenomenal job of teaching us through some of those which were really challenging, hard to comprehend. How do we understand them? Do they apply to us today? So go back and watch those. So that great job with that. But this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses uh, 20. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Somebody say neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything. Somebody say anything. Anything that is your neighbor's. Two last commandments. Do not lie and do not covet. And what I want to do is spend a lot of time on the lying portion of it. And so I'm going to hit the covet coveting portion first, because I do believe that that might change um, how we covet if we understand um, why we should not lie. So I've titled this real simple, Do Not Covet, Do Not Lie. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, and we love you, and God, we worship you. Lord, will, will your words be spoken today and not mine? Will your truth that convicts, that challenges, that shapes us be presented and not mine? Would you Father, increase in every area of our lives as we decrease. And would you shape us today? In Jesus' name, everybody say it one more time, one loud voice. Amen. Do me a favor. As you're seated, turn to the person next to you and tell them, I'm so glad you are sitting next to me. Do not covet and do not lie. You know, coveting is a sinful desire in the heart for anything that is not Yours. It's this, it's this desire, it's this yearning to want. And it's important for us to understand that this uh, specific um, uh, command, which would be the very last command, as well as the very first command, are more of an inward attitude rather than an outward action. Because all the commandments in between tackle the outward action. But the first and the last tackle an inward attitude. Because how many of you know, before you can change what you do, you have to change what's in here. Before you change what you say, you have to change what's in here. And so we're talking about an inward attitude, because coveting is unreservedly, it proclaims that our thoughts, that our feelings, that our inclinations, matters of the heart, uh, mean a lot to God. Yeah? They have a lot to do with how God loves us, and God views us, and God has a plan for us, and God has created us. It's because of coveting, and it's because of craving, and it's because of lusting that, in fact, actually leads people to then commit the other commandments. Coveting leads people to steal. Coveting leads people to murder. Coveting leads people to commit adultery, and coveting leads people to lie. Notice what it says in verse 21. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And it goes on the very end of that to say, or anything that is your neighbor. Neighbor, clearly Jesus is indicating in Scripture that your neighbor is everybody. So do me a favor and turn to your neighbor next to you and tell him, neighbor, you are my neighbor. <laughs> Real simple. Everybody and everyone around us is our neighbor. 
And Jesus is saying this idea of coveting ultimately says that um, I want what they have and at the same time saying God isn't enough for me. This happens to me every single time when September rolls around and the new iPhone is announced. I'm like, yo, I have got to have the new iPhone. Clearly what I have in my hand is not compatible with today's society. So I've got to upgrade, right? It's this, it's this, uh, this when I order something online, do I have any online shoppers? Come on, online shoppers, Amazon Prime. Thank you, Lord. I got an Amazon next to my house. I have same day delivery. Come on, I can order it when I leave today and I'll go home and it's at my door. That, I don't, know, I don't know if that's a miracle or what, but I'm going to say it is. I just, that anticipation, you know, when you're waiting, when you click order, the anticipation of it coming and it arriving. And as soon as you get it, all that feeling, all that desire leaves you. And now you want it again. And so now you've got to order something else. It's when I walk in the mall and I see a, a shoe store. I tell my wife, hold on, babe, I got to check something out real quick. I got to check something out real quick. I got to check a pair of shoes out. And she knows this. She's not stupid. Because she knows what I'm going to come and say, hey, listen, there's actually this one pair that I, that I really need, and I wouldn't need anything else. How many of you have been there before? That's, I, just need, I just need one thing, and I don't need anything else. And I think the truth is so many of us own just so many things. We have a lot of stuff. We are hoarders. We have not just one of that, but we have six of that. Why? Because we can. Why not is the question that I think many of us are asking. But we have to be careful because perhaps what you own might just be owning you. What you possess might just be possessing you. What you are so desiring might, in fact, just be desiring you. You know, the writer of Hebrews, when, while he concludes the book, he presents the evidence of faith that should appear in, in our lives. Faith not by uh, sight, um, but we walk by faith. And he says this in Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. I think coveting has a lot to do with this desire and this love to have more and to obtain more, this love of material things. And to be content, somebody say content, with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. You know, no doubt we have a materialistic problem in today's society. We just want more. And I'm not saying that materials are bad. I'm not saying what you have is sinful, but what I am saying is when that, what you don't have becomes this obsession to have, that's when it becomes wrong. When you desire, when you crave, and when you ask the question, how much more do I need to be satisfied? Could you answer that? How much more do I need to be satisfied? Is it just one more? Is it just a few more? Or is it a million more? How much do I need to be satisfied, because if I was satisfied, perhaps I would stop coveting. But church, can I tell you that there is nothing in this world that will satisfy you. The only thing that can satisfy you is God. The only thing that will always satisfy you is God. God will care for you. He will always be there for you. He will protect you, and God will provide for you. Do I have anybody that is thankful that God is the provider in your life this morning? That you wouldn't be where you're at if it wasn't for God. You know, David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He goes on to say, when I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because my God is with me. And his rod and his staff are what? Protecting me. God is the provider. You have all you need, church, when all you have is God. You have all you need. In fact, you can jot that down. You have all you need when you have God. You have all you need when you have God. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all. Somebody say All. I love that. And all these things, all these things will be given to you as well. The things that you need for survival to eat, the, th the clothes that you need on your back, the shelter that you need for your home, 
The, the worrying that you have for tomorrow, Jesus says, I will give you all these things, but you have to seek first the kingdom of God and you have to seek his righteousness. So how do we combat coveting? How do we solve this issue? Two words, write them down. Desire Christ. Desire Christ. Of course, this can be a, uh, a we, can, we can expand upon this a lot more, but I do want to get to lying. Um, but desire Christ, that's really all it is. Because the more we desire him, the less we desire things not of him. You know, the more you fall in love with your spouse, the less likely you are to fall in love with somebody else. I would question when you start to fall out of love with your spouse, who you then will start falling in love with. When you fall in love with something, you start to fall out of love with something else. So the more I desire him, the less we desire the things of him. And so I just think we have too many people who are obsessed with just getting more and desiring more and wanting more. And we have filled up our closets. We have filled up our homes. We have filled up our bank accounts. But the one thing that we have not filled up and have neglected is our soul. We have forgotten about the one thing that needs to be full. The one thing that is only going to satisfy us is what we put in here. And that one thing is who? Jesus. And so we got too many people searching, obtaining, trying to pull in things that don't satisfy us, trying to pull in things that don't matter. We find ourselves empty. We find ourselves alone. We find ourselves broken. But I wonder if there's anybody in this place today, anybody watching and online, that you would proudly proclaim that Christ is all that I need. In fact, I don't need anything that is not of Christ. And God, would you remove it if it's not of you? I do not want it. I don't want to partake in it. Would you get it out of my reach? Because when you have God, you have all that you need. Somebody say, all I need is God. And uh, I think that will solve a lot of your issues. Again, this could take some time. But God isn't wanting us to covet. God is wanting us to be satisfied by him and the things that you have. As David said, I have all that I need. I lack nothing. Let's talk about lying. Because I think the reason internally that we desire more and more is that because we've bought into this lie that we don't have enough. Can I say it again? I think we have um, internally desired more and more because we have bought into the lie that what we have is not enough and that we need more. So do not lie. There was a pastor who told his church on a Sunday to, uh, in preparation for his next sermon next week to read Mark chapter 17 because he was going to talk about lying. And so that next Sunday comes around, he gets to the pulpit, prepares to deliver his sermon, and he says, by a show of hands, who read Mark chapter 17? And a bunch of people raised their hands, and he smiled and said, there's only 16 chapters in the book of Mark, so let's talk about lying. <laughs> you know, it's clear in Scripture, the words that were put on the tablets Moses read, says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You know, Proverbs 14, 6 says that that false witness pours out lies. So briefly, I want to give you just an idea of some of these lies because, you know, maybe you're like me and you would say, I just, I just do a really great job of telling the truth always. I just don't lie by nature. I'm just not, I'm not a liar. Um, but as I break some of these down, maybe you would walk away saying, you know what? I am a big liar. In fact, I might be the biggest liar in this room. All right. So don't tune me out. Again, on average, they say people would lie maybe two times a day. So um, if you're lying to me now saying you don't lie, that's your first lie of the day. So uh, let's break some of these down. Let me give you some types of lies, and then I want to attack it in another, in another way. Types of lies. You have white lies, making excuses or fabricating appreciation, st stuff over time that will um, uh, ruin and destroy your credibility. you got people who are always white lying all the time. And I believe them at first. 
But then after the 10th time, I have stopped believing them. What about broken promises? You said that you were going to be there and you didn't show up. I told my brother this the other day. I was like, Josh, I like to undercommit so I can overdeliver. <laughs> and he laughed at me and I laughed and I was slightly joking, but um, maybe being serious. If you do quote me on that, make sure you just throw my name in there. I like to undercommit so I can overdeliver. That's horrible. And I'm not preaching that. I was just saying something that I thought was funny. Or what about fabrication, spreading false rumors, ruining somebody's reputation, even, even unintentionally? What about exaggeration? Oof. Anybody know anybody that likes to exaggerate on their stories? Are you raising your hand? You're talking about me? <laughs> Yo, I caught a fish. It was, that, it was that big. Or my golf game was so good today. I, I had so well. So well? Yeah, so well. So well. I had one hit that was well. And that was so. I mean, we struggle with exaggerating all of the time. Uh, what about deception? Um, often done for personal gain. Plagiarism. I ain't in school anymore, so I don't plagiarize. I, we could still plagiarize today. I was in eighth grade in Bible class, and I had to write down this whole passage I did not know, and nor did I memorize. And so before I got into the class, I took a piece of paper, and I wrote it all down. And then when the test came out, I slipped that paper out, and I had another paper on top. And I just scribbled, acting like I was doing something. And when it was time to hern in my Bible assignment, I just slipped out the bottom one, gave it to the teacher, crumbled the other one, and threw it away. And now I'm a pastor at a church. <laughs> One of my friends ratted on me. They saw me. And my teacher had a, she pulled out that crumbled piece of paper and put that on the t- table and said, did you, oh my goodness, I'll tell you what. What was on that paper was nothing near like what the scripture was saying. I was just drawing things. And so I got in trouble. And I don't do that anymore. Well, I don't do that mainly, uh, you know, maybe sometimes here and there. Here's the truth is I don't think any of us are inventing new truths about God's word. I think they're already in the word of God. We just come at it at a different approach. So maybe a lot of what we do and what we say is taken from somebody else. What about silence when knowing the truth? You, you fail to speak up when something is untrue. And um, when you should speak up, make sure you do speak in love. And then you have just the outright liars, the people who have been lying so much that they have forgotten what is truth. They have just lied and lied that they believe what they actually are saying So as always, what I want to do is rather than continue to talk about different ways of lying, I want to combat it at the, I want to fight it at the, at the roots. I want to attack it at the heart. I want to, I want to address it here because if we can address it here, perhaps we can solve what comes out of here because remember out of the mouth speaks what's in the heart. There is a well inside of you. What you say, whether you lie or whether you tell the truth or whether there is perversion is really coming from a place in here. And so let's attack it. From here, tell somebody next to you, let's attack it at the heart. Let's attack it at the heart. Because who knows how what you say and what you do is ultimately destroying you and somebody else. You remember the people who were, um, Jesus was before the Sanhedrin, and uh, people stood up and gave false testimony. They, they were bearing false witness, and it was then because of their testimony, because of what they said, it was the high priest that said, you know what, let's condemn this man to death, to crucifixion. So we have to be cautious of what we say. So if we are not to lie, what would be the alternative? Telling truth. You know, speaking the truth is something that is very hard to come by these days. We don't want to. We feel like we're going to hurt people. And so we fabricate stuff. We exaggerate stuff. We white lie it. Um, hearing the truth is also something that's very hard to come by these days. 
One, because we just don't know what is truth. And two, we don't like truth because truth causes us to change and truth causes us to do different things and truth causes us to, um, you know, bring out the ugly, uh, sinful side of us. So hearing truth is definitely hard to come by and it's also something that we don't always want to hear. But knowing truth, knowing truth, maybe that can be challenging. But what if I told you it wasn't as challenging because it might be easy on where to find that truth. So what is truth? Before I can talk about speaking it, we got to talk about knowing it. You know, in John chapter 14, Jesus is with his disciples and it's the Last Supper. And he's told um, that this man over here, Judas, is going to be the one to betray, you know, him. And everybody's freaking out. And Jesus is like, don't worry, I'm going to leave you soon. And they're like, what do you mean you're going to leave us soon? He's like, I'm preparing a place for you. And Thomas would say, well, um, if you're going, how can we get there? And um, why are you leaving us? And he responds and he says this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth. Somebody say truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Well, if Jesus is truth and Jesus is going, then how, how do we get to where you are going? And he says this in John 16, two chapters later. He says, but when he, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. God is sending a helper. How many of you thankful that we have the Holy Spirit with us, leading us and guiding us, and I can only do the things that I do because it's he who lives in me, not I. And so God is defined as truth. Jesus is truth. The Spirit of God is truth. The Father, the Son, the Spirit all represent truth. The opposite, the alternative of lying, which by the way in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18, it tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. Yes, other things can be truthful, but only God himself can be truth. In fact, it flows out of his nature. I'll put it this way. If you want to know truth, you must know God. Write that down if you're taking notes. If you want to know truth, you must know God. Where can I find truth? God. How do I know if it's truth? Is it God? How do I know? Where can I find? Where can I search? If you want to know it, if you got to have it, then you must know God. Could it possibly be that at times we think that what we are following and what we are believing and what we are saying is in fact not truth? Could we have been deceived that what we are so boldly proclaiming even today is actually from a source that is not really even truth? In fact, that source is unsure whether they are true. And here we are preaching and searching and spreading something because we have been deceived by the source that has been deceived. And now we are deceiving those who are following us, sometimes unintentionally. And so I think we find ourselves maybe proclaiming a message that might not even be truthful you know, it was when my uncle told me and my little brother that he could have been a quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. We believed him. And we ran with it. We told everybody. We wanted everybody to know. And this was like, you know, everybody has a favorite uncle who tells all the stories, who has the best jokes, the jokes that um, mom and dad didn't want joke, those jokes to be, you know, spoken in the house. But he was our favorite uncle. Anything he said, we believed. But all we had to do was ask a couple questions. All we had to do was search for some truth. All we had to do was just maybe search for ourselves, open up our eyes a little bit. Listen, church, I can respect your strong convictions. I can respect your strong confidence when you have strong evidence. I can respect that. Yes, I understand I'm living by faith. 
But if I'm living by faith, does that mean I don't have to know this? Certainly not. We got too many believers that say they know God, but are easily persuaded. When one person says one thing, you don't know this. You want to know truth? You must know God. Where is God found? In a lot of places. Where does he speak? Right here. You want to know truth? You've got to know this thing. So I can, I can respect your strong convictions with your strong evidence. And I think even though we may disagree, you might try and change me and I might try and change you. And I pray that we can do so in love. And I pray we can do so while understanding each other. And I pray, so, I pray that we can do it while remaining teachable and while listening. But what I cannot do and what I have a hard time doing is when you, your strong convictions um, have no backbone, have no foundation. You're not even sure that you believe it. You're just shouting it. You're just saying it. You're just preaching it. But you have no, you have no evidence. You have nothing to show for. How can you rep a jersey when you have no idea who that player is? Right? You can't even name the state that that team is a part of. How, how can I believe you? How can I believe you when you're saying I'm all about this product and you've never used this product? I can't stand when somebody tries to sell me on something they haven't even used. It doesn't even benefit them. You know, maybe you're saying today, I'm going to honor my mom, but you have never honored your mom before. How can I believe that you're going to do that? How can I believe that you're actually going to honor her? How can I believe, have you done it before? Is, is there a foundation? Is there something that you, can, that you can see? Perhaps what we are saying, perhaps what we are sharing, perhaps what we are believing and agreeing to isn't really even truth. All we had to do, church, all we had to do. Cheryl, give me that mask real quick. Give me that mask. All we had to do, I can, I can just feel the intensity going on right now. I can just feel it. All we had to do. All right. Listen, you want to wear this? Great. You don't want to wear this? Great. But what I do have a problem with is how you wear this thing. Because I think many people and many stores and many businesses tell you how to wear this. And that's cool. And I think we need to tell people how to wear this here. You can put it over your mouth. You can put it over your nose. But I think too many people are putting it over their eyes. <laughs> I believe that. Sure. I'll trust in that. Sure. I'll agree to that. <laughs> Sure. And meanwhile, we haven't done what we should have done, remove the mask, open up our eyes and fall to our knees and say, God, would you show me? Because I just don't understand yet. We got too many people, church, walking around with masks over their eyes. We're going to put a sign out there that says, when you enter, take the mask off your eyes, because here we're going to tell you and we're going to show you what truth is. Amen. <laughs> Wear it. I don't think this is going to go that far, so I'm going to throw it to you, David. Make sure you wear it the right way and make sure you don't cover your eyes. Because I think all we, all we had to do was open up our eyes and perhaps we could see what is actually happening around us. Because it's important for us. Because there are people following us. And we boldly shout some things that we're uncertain of. Who knows who we're bringing certainty or uncertainty to who's following us. So think before you speak. Know before you do, because people are following you. And so we gotta be careful. Tell somebody next to you, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. Listen, I'm not saying, you know, you know, you know do your research. Ask a lot of the questions. Do what you have to do. But I pray and I hope that your last response wouldn't be prayer, but it would be your first response. And I think so many Christians and so many people, we've um, reverted to just um, everybody is saying it, and uh, we've forgotten what God is saying 
about it. So pardon me if I don't jump on, on the train and support you and follow you uh, because uh, you have nothing to show for. In fact, what you're following, you are blindly following. I might have some questions that you cannot answer. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 15, 13. He said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, he says, will be pulled up by the roots. He says, leave them. Somebody say, leave them. Leave them before, because they are blind guides. If the blind leads the blind, they both will fall into a what? A pit. So church, maybe you can jot this down. Don't follow the truths without roots. Do not follow the truths without roots. Again, do what you have to do. But I pray that your first response would be prayer. Because our sharing, our persuading could be deceiving, it could be fabricating, it could be exaggerating, and that is lying. Maybe you followed the truth, and maybe you did it blindly, and maybe you just accidentally, you know, the, 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 the lucky numbers fell into your hand accidentally. Like, man, I didn't even do anything, but accidentally this thing came up to me. Maybe I guessed the right answer. Maybe you've persuaded me. Maybe you have convinced me. But now I would say to you, start following with some confidence because luck does not last. Start following with some confidence. What you share, what you post, believe it. Make sure it's true. Make sure you put in the legwork. Make sure ultimately that your foundation is built on the word of God. Know it and believe it. How do we know if it is actual truth? How do we know? How do we know what we see is truth? How do we know what we feel is truth? How do we know um, what we're uh, observing is truth? You know, philosophies and worldviews would say that um, there is really no such thing as absolute truth, and more truth is uh, subjective than it is objective. But to claim that there is no absolute truth would be a claim that sounds like absolute truth. That is an absolute truth claim to say there is no such thing as absolute truth. Now, certainly we are entitled to our opinions and we are entitled to our experience, but I would go as far to say this. Just because it is truth there does not mean it is truth everywhere. Amen? Just because it is truth there does not mean that it is truth everywhere. We have to ask this ourselves. Because we're, we're trying to figure out whether you know, it's absolute truth. We're trying to figure out if it's not truth. And it's difficult because you can say it's true. You can provide evidence, things like science, things like mathematics. Of course, that, sounds, that makes sense. But what about things that are subjective? What about things that are true to you and not true to me? What about how, um, like, like what, what is the best tacos? Maybe you had Cinco de Mayo and you celebrated and you got some tacos. And I was like, yo, where, where's the best taco shop? And you would say, I know the best place. It's, it's on the side of the road. It's a food truck. It, they serve the most genuine and the best tacos. Maybe you've been to Rocco's Tacos. Man, I love me some Rocco's Tacos. Tuesday night, all you can eat, $18.99. Uh, I get the hard shell with the steak. If, if, uh, maybe I'm speaking to Rocco right there, but I, I'm not looking for a sponsorship, but I would like free food. I'll be there Tuesday night. Uh, maybe you're like me and you're like, without a doubt, 100%, the best tacos is found at the um, most prestige. Some of you know where I'm going with this most prestige place, Taco Bell. <laughs> Can we just take a moment and thank God for cheap tacos at Taco Bell? I don't know how they make it, um, but it tastes good. And it doesn't break the bank account. And those Dorito tacos, my goodness. If, if manna was Chick-fil-A, the quail before that was the taco meat from Taco Bell covered in the Dorito. Some of you hungry now? Am I persuading you to go to Taco Bell after this? 
Um, that's subjective. It's true to you, but is it not, it's not really true to me. Maybe you think that that's right. Maybe I would say, well, that's actually wrong, and that's okay. But what about rules? What about, um, you know, it depends on the culture. It depends on the demographic. It depends on what works for your space. Here in America, we drive on the right side of the road. Other countries, they drive on the, wrong, the left side of the road. And uh, it's true there, and it's true here. Both true for that space. Traffic signs, you know, that's not subjective. Speed limits, that's not subjective, okay? But what about morality? What about morality? Here's what I want to hit on. What about morality? Again, if I'm going to um, not lie, then I must know what truth is. But I think so many of us have been deceived on what truth is. Therefore, we lie intentionally and we lie unintentionally. How can we lead our family? How can we lead our church? How can we lead our communities if we do not know what truth is? So what about morality? What's right? What's wrong? What's good? What's bad? People proclaim that there is um, absolute truth in uh, maybe many areas or no areas, but they seem to claim that it's definitely not in a couple areas like sexual morality and religion or the establishments of God. They would assume that there is no absolute truth for those things, but there's absolute truth in everything else that you preach and everything else that you want and everything else that you feel. But when it comes to sexual morality, when it comes to um, the religious establishments by God, it doesn't seem like there's much of absolute truth for you. And people would say, well, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. And I would, I would say that's a hard phrase to hear in the context of what we're talking about today. And I don't want to sit and talk about sexual morality or religion necessarily, but this phrase, and I think about Judges chapter 17. Judges 17, the writer pens, he says, in those days, what days are we talking about? These are the days after Joshua, Joshua who was second in command of Moses, who uh, you know, escaped or got out or was freed from Egypt and in bondage. And Joshua has led the people into the promised land. Joshua is gone. Their leader is dead. Nobody is now in charge. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right. Somebody say right. In his own eyes, my goodness, Could that, if that scripture applied to you today, what would be right in your eyes? I would be scared to death because my feelings and my emotions tell me at times that this is right. But my spirit tells me at times this is right. I would be so confused if I was just following the statement that what was right, I did. I think we'd find ourselves in a dark, dark hole, doing a lot of dark, dark things. And this is exactly what takes place here in Judges. There's no king. There's no God. The, the people, well, they would say there's no God. The people of God are confused. The people of God are unsure what to do. There's quarreling. There's, there's fighting. People are um, um, angry. And people are committing all types of crimes. And what happens is there's this lack of confusion or there's confusion and a lack of clarity that is being brought and presented to our homes, to the governing authorities, and it's presented to um, the churches. Does that not sound like what's going on today? There is a lack of clarity and there is confusion attacking um, some of the establishments, two of the establishments that God has created, home and the church. Man, if Satan could destroy, if Satan could divide and put some confusion into the church body, put some confusion into the families, Satan would win. But church, we're going to stand our ground. We're going to present the truth. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to say God has established what he has established. We're going to stand by. We're going to love. We're going to value. And we're going to tell you how it is.
Because the truth of God is way more important than your feelings. The truth of God is way more important than what the enemy is trying to do to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so we're going to fight for it. Come on, church. We're going to fight for it. We're not going to back down. We're not going to be silent. We're not going to comp- compromise. We're going to stand our ground because we are rooted on the ground that is God. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And so this confusion and this this lack of clarity is being presented to the people in the book of Judges. And, and let me give you some context because people were assuming, well, you know, I, I, just, I, guess, this, I guess this works. I guess this, uh, this makes sense because uh, there was a man named Micah. And Micah stole from his grandmother. And his grandmother put a curse on him. And Micah repented and brought back what he stole. And the grandmother forgave him and then took back a portion of what he stole and made an idol and worshipped and thanked God. And Micah was like, I'm going to do the same thing. He made an idol, thanked God. And then he ordained his son as a minister. I'm just thinking, like, what religion are these people following? Where was the submission to authority? How many commandments did these guys just break? Well, they said there was no God. Or there is a God. There's no one ruling us. Where was the submission to truth? Where was the submission, submission to the word of God? Because when there is no authority, when authority is lacking, people would just say, you know what, I could just do whatever I want. I could just figure out what I want and what I want to do, and I'm just going to do it. And thus, why we have confusion in our homes. Thus, why we have confusions in our schools. Because people are so easily persuaded. Because, well, I guess, I guess uh, there's no really submission to this thing, so we might as well do whatever we want to do. And now we have confusion Lack of clarity being presented. People don't know what truth is. In fact, they're fabricating truth. Well, you know, I I guess that works. Let me just put this together and maybe that doesn't work. Let me just add this here. I guess that works. That looks good. Kind of. And we preach that. And sheep follow that. Remember, wide is the path that leads to what? Destruction. And many people will take. And so I've got to sit here and ask myself, well, what is truth? How do I know? Everybody is saying that it's right. Everybody is doing it. I look like the rebel. I'm tired of looking like the rebel. But I'm okay. Because there's going to be fewer rebels. And I, and I pray that I can stand up here and say I'm one of them. And I'm going to do what God has asked me to do, regardless of where the world is going. But what is truth? It's the same thing that Pilate asked Jesus in John chapter 18. And Jesus responds. He says, in fact, this is 18 verse 37. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to who? Jesus. Listen, you have to understand what it is. It's not simply what works for you. It's not simply what is understanding to you. It's not simply um, what makes you feel good. It's not simply what the majority says. Listen, if he is truth, then where we get our truth is found by following him and what he says. That's where we get our truth from. It's good to read the news. It's good to search on other platforms. But as you draw your conclusions, make sure that your foundation is built on the word of God. Because if you want to be on the side of truth, then you got to be on the side of Jesus. There's no other way, church. If you want to be on the side of truth, then you have to be on the side of Jesus. Your fabricated truth, maybe there are things that are truthful. But again, the only thing that can be, the only person that will be truth is God. So why should I speak this? If I know it now... Why should I speak it? Life has consequences for being wrong. 
Life has consequences, even unintentionally, certainly intentionally. What we say matters. Again, I'll say it again. Think before you speak. Know before you do, because people are following you. It says in Proverbs 12, 22, it says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. You know, the word detest means to dislike intensely. What if I told you that God, that there was something that we did that God disliked intensely, but we do it daily? It says that he delights. Somebody say delight. Delight means to take great pleasure in. What if I told you that there was something that we could do that God would be greatly delighted in that we don't always do? God hates lying. He detests it. In fact, who is the father of lies? Satan. Go with me to John chapter 8 and I'll close here. John chapter 8 You know, this is an interesting moment because you have the Feast of Tabernacles that is just completed, and here Jesus is, you know, having an opportune time to preach. It's like when people show up, I might as well stand up and start talking. It reminds me when I was stuck in Universal, and we were on a line for three hours, and we couldn't get out because we were stuck. And somebody decided to stand up and start preaching. I know Robbie Morgan, you guys were there. You know what I'm talking about. We had this girl who was like, I want to preach because we couldn't go anywhere else. It wasn't like we could not listen. We had to listen. And it was amazing. And so Jesus is taking this opportune time where there are pilgrims, yes, where there are a lot of new believers, but there are also these Pharisees. There are also these scribes that are opposing him. And they're questioning Jesus because Jesus is saying that I've come to be the truth and the truth will set you free. And they start to question, I'm religious. What are you going to free me from? I'm a son of Abraham. I'm not in bondage anymore. And uh, Jesus would reply, maybe chucklingly, he would say, uh, he did say, um, you're not sons of Abraham because sons of Abraham wouldn't try to kill me, wouldn't try to entrap me. In fact, he says, you are sons of Satan. Man, I don't know about you, but I would hate to be accused as a son or a daughter of Satan. And he's looking at these religious people, too. These are people who know the word of God, who are questioning, who are um, would assume that they know what God is wanting. But church, can I tell you that if you are of God, then you share God's nature. That's good news. But if you are of not of God, then you share an evil's nature. There's no in between. It's not like I can have a little bit of God and I can have a little bit of the enemy. God is like, I'll spit you out of my mouth if you're in the middle. I need you to choose one side. You either got to be hot or you got to be cold. Guess what? I'm choosing the side of Jesus. I want to be of God's nature. I want to share in God's nature. I don't want to be of evil's nature, and I don't want to share in evil's nature. I can't expect people who don't know God to be trustworthy. I can't expect people who don't have a relationship with God to always tell the truth. Does that give them a pass? Certainly not. They're going to be judged. And we should do our best to help them and to love them and to show grace but also to show truth. But I meant I want to do business with people who aren't of God's nature. Like uh, Joanne said, four kids. She's like, you can go to the top. You can go to the bottom. Everybody there has a relationship with God. I want to do business with him. I I want to associate myself with people who know and are of God. I even want to agree with people who are of God. I might have a hard time with agreeing people who aren't. Again, I'm talking about the, 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 the moral things where there's a clear distinction between what is right and what is wrong. And the only way you're going to be able to do that, by the way, is by the Spirit of God within you. It's a battle that you face. 
But Jesus is responding to them, and he says this in John 8, 42. He says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. And I came not on my own accord, but he that sent me. So why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? I love that. Is it because you cannot? I just, I just don't want to hear it right now. I only show up to church once a month because I feel convicted every time I show up on Sunday. I would say keep showing up. Get here on Wednesdays too. Join a small group. I want to be convicted, encouraged, compelled to do better every single day of my life. That's good. In fact, tell somebody next to you, that's good. That is good that you feel that way. Because there should be a change. When Jesus enters into your life, there should be a change. But so many people are saying, I can't bear the truth. I I, I don't want to hear the truth. Jesus says in verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in who? Satan. It says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I want us to understand that it's so important for us to know this because, again, there are so many who are following. There are so many who are looking. There are so many who are searching. And we might be the only Jesus to them. And here we are thinking, you know what? I don't have to be confident. I don't have to have a lot of foundation with what I believe. I'm just going to start sharing things. And we have deceived people. We have lied to people. Again, unintentionally, but perhaps intentionally. And I want us to understand, church, that perhaps we can stop lying if we know the truth inside of us. The truth inside of us will compel us to be trustworthy. God delights in that. And so I want to tell you and leave you with this last passage, which Paul says, Ephesians 4, 25. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Somebody say falsehood. Falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? The people sitting next to you. Who is your neighbor? The people in your community. Who is your neighbor? The, your, your actual neighbor that you're having a real hard time with because they keep leaving their trash can in the middle of the street and when you try and back out, you hit it. I mean, common sense people, that is your neighbor. It says speak truthfully to them for we are all members of one body. A theologian named Warren Wiersbe said, truth is the cement that holds society together. And church, I want to declare to you and those watching and online that I will fight for truth. I will live for it and I'll even go as far as dying for it because I believe in it. I believe in it with all my heart. And so let's gain some confidence. Let's build up some strong convictions with some solid evidence and let's begin to shape the world and the kingdom of God. We should pray that, Father, would your kingdom come Would your will be done on this earth that is in heaven? Would you stand all across this place and would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We love you. And Jesus, would you, as always, allow the words of your scriptures to change and challenge us? Would it convict us and compel us to do what you were calling us to do, to live righteously? Would we walk out of these doors not seeking things of this world, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you? Will we be reminded that you are a shepherd and we lack nothing? And that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So God, as I know truth, as I discover truth, as I fall more in love with you, would I speak more truth? Would you give me boldness? 
Would you give me courage? I know we're gonna offend some people. You offended people. But God, I wanna be truthful, knowing that people are dying and going to hell. And so I wanna speak my truth. I don't wanna spare my truth. I wanna speak it boldly with grace, with love, and with truth. So Father, would you help us all today? And I do wanna pray this. If anybody is watching, if anybody is listening, and maybe for the first time you're saying, Jacob, I don't even know who this Jesus is. I've been following something my whole life and I've just been broken. I've been lonely. I've been hurting. I have a lot of bondage. I have a lot of baggage. This day for me is really challenging. Coming to church is really challenging. Watching it online has been really challenging. Maybe there's a tug happening in your heart right now in this moment. You know, Jesus says, I knock at the door and all you gotta do is let me in. All you have to do is believe that Jesus has a purpose for you, has a plan for you, he loves you, he has created you. He said he knew you before you were even in the womb. And you entrust your soul, your life, your heart, your mind, all to him. And you say, God, I, I serve you for the rest of my days. And so if that's you today, you're listening or watching, you're saying, you know what, Jacob, I would love to receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Would you pray this prayer with me? In fact, church, would you all pray this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I make mistakes. I covet and I lie. But today, God, I will do my best to cease that. And so today, I trust in you. I accept you. And I will change. Change me from the inside out. Today, I am your child and you are my father. And it's in Jesus' name everybody said, amen. Can we put our hands together for those maybe that made that decision? And can we just worship him for a moment? I wanna invite you to pray. I wanna invite you to stay where you're at. I wanna invite you to maybe lift your hands or sing out your own song. But can we worship the goodness of our God? Come on.